music lovers, songwriters, this is Casey from Second Echo, and welcome to the Sing Along Podcast. This week marks the return of my very good friend and the host of the legendary Thursday night acoustic open mic at the Tap in Boulder City, Nevada, Mr. Marty Fike. Marty returns to the podcast this week to talk about some of his music, including a couple of tunes that he wrote with his former band, Left Honduras. This first song is from their album entitled Strand, and it was released all the way back in 2005. Here's Left Honduras with Watershed. Get away, get away. I don't want you coming back, coming back. I can feel you hiding there, hiding there, in between the book stacks. So we meet again, Mr. Fike. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, are the first ever repeat guest that we've had wow. on the podcast. A little bit different capacity, of course. Uh, the first time Marty was uh, interviewing me about a song that I wrote called Wide Awake. And now the tables have turned, Mr. Fike, and we're going to shine the light on your music. I'm, I am ready. You have been such an integral part of 
getting this podcast started for so many different reasons. And I don't even know if you're aware, but I wanted to just make sure that you knew. Um, first of all, all of the guests pretty much so far have been from the open mic. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. uh, but you also asked me a question the first time you were on that I have since asked all of my guests because it was such an intriguing question. So I wanted to start with it for uh, for you because i i want to i wanted to say thank you for giving me this question because oh, i cool. when you asked me i it blew my mind so we were talking about influences and you said what were some of the artists and bands that influenced you but you said i don't want you to just stop there i want you to go back before you even knew music was influencing you like when you were uh riding around in your parents car the things that right. influenced you before you even knew so talk about that a little bit um well, th well thank you for thanking me for the question yeah. <laughs> First of all, um yeah you know i remember riding around in my dad's uh jeep like cj5 or cj7 in my car seat like i was young you know yeah. probably three four years old and um he had a tape deck which was really new for the time because this was you know 1978 1979 sure. yeah give my age away <laughs> <laughs> but i remember somebody at work had had taken a record, like a, a vinyl record, and recorded it onto a cassette Put it on tape. A tape. Okay. Yes. Okay. So on the one tape or side, I don't even remember if it was side or, or, or the actual different tape. He had Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> okay. You know the Bee Gees. Yeah. Yeah. And all the other you know great songs on that record. Yeah. Which there's there's really a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he had America, the band America. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Probably their greatest hits, I'm guessing. Yeah. At that point, and I remember. Uh, you know, I, I like the Bee Gees, obviously, because it sounded like it was a little kid singing, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I remember I really liked America and Sister Golden Hair was one of my favorites. Yeah. I think, you know, as a little kid, I liked the drum part, du -du -dum -dum, you know, coming yeah, in. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. It's just that kind of stuff. Um, you know, my parents, my parents weren't really big music people per se. Interesting. My dad was more so than my my mom's taste in music is so milk toast. Like the Beatles were too, you know, too much <laughs> too for much. her. You know, she, she liked Elvis. Yeah. You know, and I got to listen to a lot of Elvis records. And I, was, but it wasn't like the early. They didn't have the early Elvis. They yeah. had like Moody Blue. Right. And like yeah. the, you know yeah. the concert from Hawaii. Yeah. Which was cool. Like his gospel is stuff later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, but it was yeah. like the older fat Elvis. Yeah, yeah. You know, yep. I wish they would have had yeah. the younger hip, yeah. you know, in, can't film him from the waist <laughs> down Elvis. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so um, they had John Denver Records. Ooh, okay. Uh, Barry Manilow. Wow, okay. Which, you know, I, I liked. And great songwriter. Amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, what else did they have? Just like a lot of 70s, late 60s kind of stuff like that. It, it, nothing was too edgy. You right. know, my, my parents weren't like, you know, listening to Black Sabbath. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Or, or, or anything yeah. edgy at the time, which is, you know, probably is directly related to the type of music that I gravitated toward later after my metal phase. Sure. I kind of, you know, switched gears and went back to a more mellow, melodic, song-driven. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I've said for the longest time, I'm convinced that a lot of those 50s and 60s tunes that I listened to kind of via my mom, because she was listening to a lot of the Beatles and um, just all those 50s, 60s, classic hits that we had an oldies station that she'd put on in the car. I'm convinced that's where I got my sense of melody and chord progression and songwriting. It was all from these simplistic songs from that era. And, and honestly, it's, it always, it always comes back to that. It yeah, seems, I yeah. mean, you can, you can play math rock, which I, I totally got reintroduced to that phrase yeah, um, yeah. from a friend the other day. And um, you can play that. You like can, the Tool and the Dream Theater, that kind of stuff. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you can play progressive rock like Rush or Yes, things like that. But at the end of the day, even Tool, Radiohead, yeah. there's, there's melodic things that draw you in. Yes, absolutely. There has to be. Otherwise, it's garbage. Yeah. There has to be something that you can grab onto yes. melodically. Yeah, yeah. N totally. And that's why... Honest, honestly, I love progressive rock, but 
not many bands, you know, because sure. there is that element is I, I need melody. I need a hook and, and I need something like you said, that's memorable that draws you in. And there's a lot of progressive stuff where they're doing really cool stuff with their feet and with their guitars, but it's kind of like, uh, you can only take that for so long right. my, for at least I can. You I'm know? probably going to get a letter for this, but, <laughs> but, but I like King Crimson. I just can't, I just can't. I know a ton of my musician friends are like, Oh, I'm just like, no, man, I'm sorry. I know Robert Fripp is a genius on guitar. I yeah, get it. Tony yeah. K. I get it. Get it yeah. But no, yeah, just can't yeah, do it. Yeah. I can't do it. Well, I noticed Marty, when, when I first started coming to open mic, uh, you would open up the night with two or three songs. And I noticed that from the very beginning, you were prone to do, uh, covers. Mm -hmm. And even when, as, as the open mic went on, everybody was doing originals. And, and I always thought that was interesting, especially when you started playing some of your originals. And I was like, why isn't he playing these more? So what was it about that? Was there a little bit of, um, were you a little timid when, as far as doing your originals at the open mic or talk about that a little bit, why you were tended to do that? Um, I'm not sure. Like, you know, it's, it's a weird dynamic as a host. I mean, I want to set a good example. You know, obviously I, w I, I want people to feel comfortable playing the originals, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you want to give them a little bit of something they're familiar with or sure. put a, a spin on something sure. a, a little bit, uh, change the song out, make it a little different. Yeah. But um, that's a great question. I don't, I really don't know why I did that. Okay. I, th I think it's um, a comfort zone, safe zone thing. Yeah. You know, I'm not afraid of uh, criticism about my originals or anything like that. Um, but it, plus it gives, I, I don't know, maybe it gives a better kind of um, better talking points when you can talk about a song and an artist yeah. that people kind of know or familiar yeah. with. Well, and I know at the time you were doing a lot of cover gigs anyway, yeah, so that was kind of your main repertoire anyway. True. Yeah, yeah. Very true. Yeah, that could, that could have been it. It could have just been, you know, what, what, what felt natural. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I, I, I said... I said to myself years ago, and I broke my promise to myself <laughs> that I would never play a gig where I didn't play at least one original, one original song. Yeah, yeah. And I have totally broken that yeah, promise yeah. many times. Yeah. It's funny. I, I've never made that promise to myself, but I feel like I've, I feel like I've held that pretty staunchly. Like I, I'll slip in wide awake or something that, sure. that I think could pass for a cover, you know, just one, like there have been some where I've only done one, yeah. but I, I always force myself to go, let's see if I can get away with it. <laughs> you know, even yeah. at the, the strict cover gigs, even at those. Yeah. Yeah. And, and most of the time people aren't even going to. Yeah, notice. totally. Yeah. That one person go, Oh, I've never heard that song before. It must be some obscure cover obscure, that I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah. that's another conversation. That's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's jump into, let's jump into watershed. The song that we just listened okay. to. The first thing that stood out to me is the, the thing that you use throughout the song, this repeating line, one line right after the other, the getaway, get, get away. I don't want you coming back, coming back. That's such a great vehicle to use that I, I feel like not a lot of people use. Again, you, you can't use it all the time, but I feel like that's a great lesson for young songwriters is taking those key phrases and key elements and not being afraid to repeat them for emphasis. Yeah. And, and what's, what's funny is, um, one of the things that you don't hear much anymore in songwriting occasionally with, you know, some indie artists or whatever is there, there's, I can't think of a, a you know, a, a solid example right now, but there are songs where the first verse, the second verse, the same as the first, like Henry yes. VIII. Yeah. Where they, like, a lot of indie music did that. Yeah. Where they yeah. would just repeat the first verse the second time around. Yeah. And then, um, you know, they would have maybe a bridge or something. Right. But um, I think Nirvana did, did stuff like that, they perhaps. Did, yeah. 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 But um, why I chose to do that, I, I think, if I remember correctly, um, I wrote the music first for that, okay. which I generally do. Okay. And I think a lot of the repetition came from the syncopation in in the in the chords. Dun 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 dun. You know, get away, get away. Yeah. So it seemed to like 
lend itself to a repetition like that. Yeah. I, I, that part. I, yeah. Well, no, it's just the way you heard it. Cause I, the, what made me think of this is, uh, in the very first song from my album evolution strong enough, I go take a stranger's hand and sell it to a rich man, rich man. And yeah. it was just, it just, the way that I heard it, I was like, I need to reemphasize this line instead of feeling like I had to come up with a whole other set of of words or whatever. And it, and it serves this purpose of that's an important part of the song is rich man, rich man. And then the second word, second verse, the same thing that phrase I wanted to draw attention to it. So you repeat it, you know? Right. And, and in this song, it's almost, um, it, it, it's, it's almost like a warning too. So yes. I, I want to, yeah. I want to repeat it so that, uh, you know, it's, it's emphasized because uh, this song kind of, it, it's one of those songs that, that, um, it can be interpreted different ways. I mean, sure. I know what I wrote it about. Sure. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, it's telling a story and it's a, it's a warning. Yeah, and, and then in that same in that same vein, knowing when to use it and when to not, because you, you know you say get away, get away. I don't want you coming back, coming back. I can feel you hiding there, hiding there. And then I think I got this line right in between the book stacks. Yeah. And then there you didn't. And so it's, again, it's knowing when to use it, when to lay off. So you don't overuse it. You don't overstay your welcome. You know, I'm, I'm curious about that, about that line specifically. It, it was a very intriguing line <laughs> in between the book stacks. Talk about that line a little bit. Um, it's <laughs> in between the book stacks is a reference to where you can hide things. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously I, I did it for the rhyme aspect, mm -hmm. you know, with back and book stacks. Yeah. But um, there's lots of things you can hide in, in book stacks. You can hide photos. Sure. Um, you can hide personal effects. You can hide drugs. Sure. Okay. So yeah. that's kind of what, um, that's why I use that. And I mean, it could be a metaphorical sense too. Um, you know, the book of your life. Sure. Hiding between this chapter, this novel, sure. or this, you know. Or just secrets that you have that you're hiding. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great, man. I, I want to jump to the chorus because this was really my favorite part of the song. And I have been singing it all this week as I've been listening and preparing for this podcast. It gets stuck in my head. And this idea of uh, you, I can't get you out of my mind. But if I stay with you... <laughs> You'll kill me somewhere down the line. So many songs, it seems today, want to make this really profound statement. And I feel like some of the greatest songs are the songs that create a tension or something that really isn't either resolved in the song or maybe can never be resolved. It, it, but it makes you wrestle with it. Sure. Uh, I, to I totally agree. And um, I intentionally made it esoteric because, I mean, we all know a lot of the things that we enjoy the most are what is the worst thing for us. Sure. I mean, that's just human nature. Yeah, it goes yep. for food. It goes for anything. Relationships. Re like, re yeah, yeah absolutely. relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, people that are adrenaline junkies. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, after I wrote the line with a specific thing in mind, but after I wrote it, I realized how universal it was. Yeah, and yeah. after I wrote the chorus, I made sure that I kept the rest of the song, like I said, a bit, a bit esoteric, yeah. so that people could, you know, t take their own, make their own interpretation, and also um, fill in the blanks, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, you can make a song a Mad Lib, Yes. Yeah. I can see that. And yeah. I think this is one of those uh, situations because I, you know, over the years I've asked a lot of people, I said, what do you think songs about? You know, and well, it's about a girl. Yeah. No, it's not. Interesting. But it could be. Could you be. You know? Yeah. Right. And it sounds like there's an interesting story behind well, it. Well, I don't want to ruin it for my millions of fans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, this, this song is about addiction and, um, it's meant, like I said, it's meant to be a warning, um, a warning for myself. Yeah. Whether I heed it or not, that's, that remains to be seen. Sure, sure. Um, or uh, whether someone else kind of gets it and heeds the warning as yeah, well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's totally about addiction and what it can do to you and why, why you need to tread carefully when you feel like you're 
going past the point of no return. Yeah. So yeah. that, that answers a lot of questions, especially the next line that I was going to bring up is this idea of, well, it's the second half of the chorus. So sure. pray for me so I can have the strength, strength to find. And I couldn't make out this last line so I can have the strength to find what's the rest of that line. Miss Roberts, where you're going to go when I figure out all your lies. Miss Roberts? Yes. Where you're going to go. Where you're going to go when okay, I so figure what's out. what's the impetus behind that? Because <laughs> I couldn't make out Miss Roberts. Right. Where you're going to go. So what, what, yeah, tell me about that. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, so Miss Roberts is a nickname for something okay. else. Okay. That uh, my friends and I use, uh, used as a, a moniker for something else. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I, I don't want to give it away because like. No, you don't have it, to. It, it's not, it's not that I. I'm embarrassed or anything. I just, no, no. but I, I, I completely understand the idea of wanting to make it something that people can relate to and not ruin it for people because, because I have had those instances where there has been a song or a band that I really love. And then I will hear them explain it and I'll go, ah, I totally get it. So no, you don't have to say anything more. The thing that I was going to say that was interesting is the reason why I wasn't so sure that it was about a relationship because it seemed really weird and ironic to say, Hey, you know what? Pray for me that I can have the strength to leave you. Right. <laughs> it just seemed weird. So I was like, Oh yeah, there's gotta be something deeper there. Yeah. Right. And so going along those same lines, this idea of pray for me, I know you and I've had some conversations about this in the past and the idea of maybe some of your upbringing, some of my upbringing with sure. faith and religion. And I've, this is another question that I've asked just about every person that I've interviewed, because I am always fascinated to hear the, the person's answer for me because of my upbringing, probably because of how I was raised. And not only that, when I write, I don't know where some of my ideas come from. They just seem sure. beyond me. I you told, know? I mean, absolutely. And, and they're just so powerful and, and, and it's such a humbling experience. And so they feel like they have to be coming from outside of me, like that I'm just kind of capturing them sure. and, and writing them down and, and translating them. And I'm always curious from a songwriting standpoint, each person I talk to, where does, in your experience, in your opinion, where does your inspiration come from? I, I don't know. Like I, I kind of am on the same page with you or in the same boat with you about that. Um, it definitely comes from personal experience. It's, it's almost when I was younger and I think we talked about this, um, when we uh, did the, our first yeah. podcast, yeah. when I was younger, uh, a songwriter, even in my teen years, um, which I, I'm embarrassed to say, uh, lyrics really weren't important to me. I can see. It. I was kind of the same way when I was, uh, yeah, when I was younger. It's yeah. like, okay, I want to get this thing to rhyme. I want it to sound cool. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it's about anything. Right. Um, well, it has to be about something, you know, it has to be topical and at least, you know. But it didn't have to necessarily be important to you. No. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. And then, and then I wrote a song on um, my band's, it was actually our second record. Um, the record was called Shooting for Fall. The song was called Zelda's Wine. And it was about um, drinking underage at a bar in college. Okay. Okay. And it was the first song that I had ever written that was like a narrative that told a story. Yeah. Okay. Um, it chronicled what we did. We went, we got in line, we showed our student ID, we yeah. got drunk, we tried to hook up. Sure. Well, afterward, we went and ate, you know, and yeah. it was like our band's biggest song. Yeah. Because everybody could relate to it sure. on one level on or another level, yeah and it finally hit me at that point where i was just like you have to tell a story sure if you're not telling a story you're really doing yourself a disservice um you know and i look at songwriters like i'll use lennon mccartney as an example yeah okay because i think that the difference in their style of songwriting um is so vast mm -hmm. it's lyrically yeah paul tells a story but Paul makes up stories. Yes. I think they're more crafted. Like, um, 
like Lady Madonna or um, O Blood D O Blood Da. Yeah, they're they're abstract versus experiential. They're something right. that he's they're, creating. They're yeah. not introspective like Lennon's lyrics right. are. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and and every single one of Paul McCartney's songs just about could be in a musical. Like the very right. show tuny. Yes, which very is, much so. Which I, I, I love Paul. Yeah. Trust me. But yeah, every time I hear a Paul McCartney song, I'm like, that could be on Broadway. <laughs> that could be on Broadway. But that's um, a TV theme, theme right? Song. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, I got to a point back to where I realized that things ne- you needed to tell a story, you needed to be authentic, you needed to share um, your your experience with uh, the people that you were uh, your fans, right? Or or yeah. whoever was listening to your music. So um, my songs completely started to change after that, and right. I started to write more about my experiences, whether it was. I masked them somehow, mm-hmm. but it was, it, it all became authentic. It just wasn't like, this sounds awesome in a song, you know, with right. these chords over it. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I wanted to touch on one other aspect of this song and that okay, was sure. the production side of it, because one of the things that stood out to me that I thought just put the song over the top was the organ that was laid under it. I just thought that was such a great touch. It wasn't overpowering, but it was just, it was a subtle thing and it really made the song what it was, I thought. And that's awesome. Yeah, I loved it. And one of the things I was curious about, I know this was several years ago, but when you and the band went into that studio, when you guys went to work on that project, what was production like? Because I know you and I talk a lot about production. We sure. are very particular. We're very specific about what we want. But back then, did you have that control? What did production look like during that album? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I was the I wrote all the songs on the record. Okay, and I was pretty much the producer. Oh, great! Okay. I was you know, once everybody laid their tracks down, I was the one there cleaning stuff up, doing overdubs sure. and, and with the mixing. No sure. one, no one else was there really there during the mixing. It was just me. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't like they weren't invited. Don't get me wrong. Right. Right. You know, the, yeah. everybody was welcome to come to the mixing, but sure. you know, they just trusted you to, to, to do they it. Did. Yeah. And the funny thing, the organ, that's so funny. You bring that up because like, I would have liked organ on a lot of the songs in yeah. the record. Yeah. And I felt that that song kind of really, it needed a little something. And the engineer totally did that. Yeah. Did that part. Did that part, yeah. Not even on an, or I think he did it on a computer somehow. Sure, sure. But it sounds so legit. It sounds so good. Yeah, like I, I, I never would have known. Yeah, I never would have known, yeah. But it just, yeah, it make, it takes it from this level of just being kind of an ordinary rock song, and it just gives it its own identity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. And, and after I heard the mix, like that went, that part was actually done last. Okay. That was done during the mixing yeah. process. Yeah, yeah. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Well, speaking of production, I want to jump to the next song. We're going to talk about your brand new song, okay. Nightfall. And uh, man, segue. Nice. yeah. Nice. T- speaking of just incredible musicians, I know you had some pretty heavy hitters from Vegas playing on this track. And uh, man, it turned out amazing. You actually wrote this song quite recently about shutdown, about you know, the right. strip being a ghost town about Vegas being dark, you know, uh, talk to me a little bit about this. Yeah. So, um, the first person that I actually, I went to Jace Wills uh-huh. and we're friends with yeah. Jace. Yeah. Yep. And I went to him, I said, I want to record this. He's like, sure, man, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. Cause he wasn't working and yeah. you know, we're good friends. And so went in and I laid the acoustic, uh, tracks down and, I called Rick Duarte from Frequency Entertainment, yeah. you know, who I've known for years and yeah. really good friends with. Great bass player. He killed right. the bass part on that song. Oh, my Rick, goodness. Rick laid down a bass part that defined most of the other parts in yes. the song, yeah. which yep. is unheard of. Um, yeah, unheard Sorry. of. No, you're but, fine. <laughs> no, I agree. It's 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 amazing when somebody comes in and their part is that substantial that you have to, it's, and it's so good that you are forced to make everything else revolve around that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was happy to, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and the, I think the next, the next people who played were, um, the, the girls in, in the whiskey fiddlers, my band, uh, Sarah and Megan and Sarah is a world-class cellist, um, writer, arranger. Yeah. She's uh, played with Aerosmith. I mean, you just name it. She, wow. Yeah, she she wow. was uh, the cello player for Aerosmith during the residency at Park MGM. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And she's in my band. 
Wow. Yes. Props wow. to Sarah. Well, let, what I want to do is let's take a moment and let's let the listeners hear what we're talking about. Okay. We're going to go listen to the song and then I want to come back and talk a little bit more about the production side of it and we'll okay. dive into some of the lyrics. Sounds good. So let's take a listen uh, to Marty Fike with his latest song entitled Nightfall. thought I'd be the one to see Avalon fall. I went and tried to do some research on this reference because I, I knew that there was something deeper. And actually what's funny is when I first heard you sing it at open mic, I thought you said Babylon because there's some significance to Babylon as well. Like some sure. old biblical references to this great city that, that had a great fall. So, but I'm not well, sure. Casey, yeah. I should have used Babylon. <laughs> no, but so I'm interested about where the Avalon reference comes from. 
I needed a nice sounding word okay. that reflected, you know, Vegas. I, I think, you know, you know, I was thinking like Nirvana, uh, Valhalla. Yeah. You know, okay. All yeah. those things kind of came into mind yeah. and it just didn't fit. But yeah, now that you mentioned Babylon would have been pretty cool, but go back and do a quick edit. <laughs> right, right. Um, but Avalon, I actually, I had to do research after I wrote it too. Cause I, I knew it was some sort of mythical, you yeah. know, um, land, but it turns out it's, it's like King Arthur kind of, that's what I found. Yeah. yeah. There, there is some historical reference to it being kind of a mystical city. Yeah. Right. It's a great reference. I love the way it sounds in the song. Yeah. I, I just, I was curious if there was some deeper meaning to you personally. Not really. I just, I just really wanted to kind of capture, you know, the idea of Vegas in, in, in a different kind of light. Kind of how so, magical it can be. And, right. Yeah. It's, it's something that you don't normally associate yeah. with it. Yeah. But man, for First lines are just so important. They that, are, you know. Yes, yeah. so important. Yeah, and uh, my wife, I'm not. She's like, you're the king of the first lines and songs. I'm like, oh, don't tell me that. That's my a lot head, of pressure. Right? My, my head will get so big, and then I'm, I, I will fail from this point forward. Well, one of the things that I really appreciate about this song is you did a masterful job of coming up with these incredible what I like to call mini hooks throughout the, throughout the entire song. Okay. So for example, uh, never made that kind of money, but always decent enough, that decent enough, you know, and then in verse two, now I ain't got no money used to be decent enough. I love, it's not the main hook, but it's a hook that is throughout the song. And it, 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 it lends to that continuity throughout the entire song. And real quick, the other thing real quick, and I'll let you kind of speak to this. Never mind. They filled it up with, What's the first verse? Gas, gas and straw. Gas and straw. And then the second verse is, never mind, I filled it up with wine and song. So sometimes it's not even using the same words. Like in the pre-chorus, you say, um, you are amazed everything vacillates. And then as we disintegrate and then mm -hmm. as we evaporate, I just, those are all forms of this mini hook. And I just, it makes it just a great song, man. Oh, thanks, man. That's, that's very nice. That's really I'm getting goosebumps actually. <laughs> Too bad we don't know. Can you zoom in, Charlie? <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, uh, um, de the decent enough thing, it's like I, wa I want to do appeal to musicians, you know, in town because I know some of them make good money, some just decent enough. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was, I, I wanted to have some down-to-earth lyrics about it um, so that it, it really captured kind of what everybody was going through. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm fortunate I have a day job. Sure. And I've considered many times quitting my day job. Yeah. And then you know what they say. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah. quit your Don't day job. Don't quit your day job. I, yeah. Yep. And I'm glad I didn't. You're right. Yeah. But, um, and yeah, the, the, the evaporate, eviscerate, uh, disintegrate, evaporate thing, it was kind of a, I, I don't, you know, that's one of those things where you just don't really know where it comes from. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wanted to keep the, the, um, the assonance the same. You know, yes. that, that long A. Yes. Yep. I just think yeah. those are the little subtleties that take a song. As, and as you mature as a songwriter, it takes your songwriting from good to great. I just think those, and, and, and people are looking for these. What's the key to writing a great song? It's little things like this, in my okay. opinion. It's those tiny things, you know, the, knowing how to utilize those tiny subtleties. And, and it's funny. It, a lot of times you don't even do it intentionally. Correct. Yeah. yeah you know, absolutely. you just know you want a different word that has that same oomph, you know, that expresses the same kind of um, emotion. Yes. And yeah. gets the same reaction from the listener. Yes. But it, sometimes you, you gotta, you know, find it. You gotta find that word and, and it's not always easy. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever done this? Like, and I, we may have talked about this before too, but have you ever like looked back on a song that you've written and looked at the lyrics and went, and went, how in the hell did I write that? Like what, what, how, like how did that come out of me? Yes. In fact, uh, this last week at the open mic, I did a newer song and there are some lines in that that I look back now and I go, I have no idea where that came from. That's I mean, great. Yeah. And I love that. I love that, that, that feeling. And that lead that lends to your idea of is something channeling through you? Yes. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Going back to the production on this, okay. I wanted to ask you uh, about 
working with the musicians because I'm always intrigued by this idea of when you have a song and you have an idea of what you want it to be like you know it's especially as you and I have talked about production we're very particular it's really easy for us to have a lot of notes and to have a lot of opinions about what we want but at the same time when you get a really talented group of musicians sometimes it's better to be like I trust you guys just do your thing yes. and, and you come away with a better product. What, tell me about that in your opinion, what, which of those produces the best results? I, I learned a long time ago, a long, I'm talking like not when I was 19 or 20 years old, starting to record stuff in our bass player's basement Yeah. to, you know, I wanted my band to sound like Toad the Wet Sprocket. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. what I wanted. Yeah. I yeah. wanted my band to sound like Toad. Yeah. yeah. And I realized after, you know, a little while that, it's never going to sound like Toad. Right. That's okay. That's okay. And just to let everybody do their thing. Yes. And it's going to come out the way it's going to come out. And if you don't like it, then you're not in the right band. Absolutely. Yes. And yeah. with, with this production, especially, I'm still getting flack from some people. <laughs> I just, I, it's, um, let's talk about the piano. We'll talk about the piano because that's a perfect example. Okay. Okay. So the piano is played by uh, Mr. Martin Kay, who played Jerry Lee Lewis in a million dollar quartet at Harris for many years oh, on the strip. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he toured around the country uh, when they did the, the city to city tour and stuff. Uh, he's from Birmingham, England. Or no, Manchester. I'm sorry, Manchester. Okay. Oh, he's going to kill me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Manchester. Um, Manchester. Uh, so he had, you know, moved back home before all this happened. Yeah. Because uh, the show ended and, you know, he was just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go back home for a while. Sure. So I, I, you know, we'd stay in contact because we're super good friends. And I sent it to him and I said, he goes, well, what do you want me to play, mate? You know, what do you want me to play? He's like, do you want like <laughs> this kind? Do you, do you want this kind of piano part? Do you want something like this? Because we, we actually did a Zoom meeting and he played some stuff. And I was like, Martin, listen, just play it like you're the feature instrument and I'll, I'll edit it from there. Yeah. I said, pretend you you are the center stage. Just right. play it like that. Yeah. And so I've, I've got some crap for that. I'm like, oh, it sounds too cabaret here, and you know, over here, what really? is he? He's playing. He's playing. He's overplaying a little bit here. Yeah. I I, I really. Wow. I'm not going to say from who. Wow. But okay. um, you know, Jace and I had talked about it, and he's like, I love it. He's like, we can take the volume down and, and bring it up here, but yeah. I really like what he played. Yeah, and I, I, do, I do, too. too. I love it. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's amazing. Yeah, he did Super an incredible good. job. And it, 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 it totally changed um, the, the song a lot. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it brought a lot of life to it. And energy. And, yes. Yes. The yeah. energy, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And whenever you have a song like this, it in my opinion, has the potential to be a song that a lot of people can relate to and draw comfort from because of the topic. And so you want it to kind of be universal and appeal to the widest possible audience, you know? Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, what are some things that you are looking for maybe in this production or maybe in production and music in general that make that timeless legendary production that's a great question and um I, i've i've thought about this a lot and i'm going to use an i'm going to use an example that i think almost everybody can relate to john mellencamp okay okay if you listen to a mellencamp record from 1983 like pink houses or, or um scarecrow any of those oh, yeah, any yeah, of those yeah. records yeah if you listen to them now they're really not dated. Sure. They're not dated. Yeah. Even if you take some of the keyboards out of some Brian Adams stuff from the 80s. Sure. Not dated. It's just, it's rock and roll. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that's kind of like my philosophy. If you kind of stick with what is the most important basic components of rock and roll. Yeah. And if you get those down in, into a production and into a recording then you you can't go wrong. The the, the I don't know. The, I'm just, I'm a minimalist. The, the the more fancy that you get yes. with production, yeah. the more headache it yeah. is. Yeah. You know. Then, like here, I'll give you a perfect example. 
when, when I used to play in a band, you know, my electric rig, I had two pedals. I had a boost pedal and I had a reverb pedal because my amp didn't have reverb. That was it. <laughs> I didn't have a delay. I had a delay pedal for a song that we used delay on. Okay. But, you know. People, for a song. <laughs> right. Yeah. For a song. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm just, I'm one of those guys that I'm, a, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to call myself a purist and sound like a d sure. but, I, <laughs> but I, I really think that if you get a, a, a good bass group of tracks down, yeah, you know, yeah, that it, it, it's, it can be timeless. And yeah. the Mellencamp example is, is, is the best example I can think of. And almost like the less is more approach. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you can always add this and that yeah. later on, yeah. but it has to be, there has to be a good baseline for everything. Yeah. Not like doom, doom baseline, but you right. Know. No, totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, on that same topic of this being kind of a, a universal song as you were writing this song. And I guess in a greater sense, when you write in general, do you ever think of, you're writing is something that's global or are you just writing something personal and it connects globally? You know, like I, I, I find myself that I don't f feel like I'm qualified to write a song that solves the world's problem. Sure. So I just write something personal and then it turns out that some of what I write really does connect on a global level, I feel. And so I guess I, I'm always interested in the songwriter's perspective. Do you write with that in mind or do you write just personally? I No, I've never really written with that in mind. Um, in fact, the, the, so and even ironic, on this song, you, you would say that same thing. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I mean, I was writing kind of to assuage uh, my friends. Okay. You know, um, and the, the irony of you saying that is there's a line on a song on that album Strand. Yeah. In Wasted Our Time that says you can't solve world hunger with drums and a guitar. <laughs> because a dude that, that played in, in, in a band with me was like, you know, he was always like, ah, we're going to solve the world's problems. We're going to, yeah. you know, I'm just like, ah. But um, no, I, I don't think about it globally. I just think of as many people that can, you know, feel something from it. And yeah. I basically, I wrote it for my friends. Yeah. That's what I wrote it for. Yeah. And I, you know, personally, you know, obviously every song you write is, is a personal thing. Yes. But no, I, I never think of the global idea, even though I, uh, th there's a possibility that it could be sure. You never want to rule that out. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think when you start thinking of yourself as, like you write something global, like you've gotten outside your ego at that point. I would completely agree with that. Yeah. So we discussed earlier that the, you just recently wrote and finished this song. And I know from talking with you that it was the first song in a while and <laughs> that you had written. Right. And it makes me wonder why this song. And, and what I mean is I have a, phone full of voice memos and ideas so do I. <laughs> and, and, and there's stuff that I go, it's good, but I'll, maybe that's down the road or, but then there are other ones where I like, I have to work on this now sure. and, because there's something about it. And so I guess that it makes me wonder for this song for you, what made this song or any song rise to the top? What makes a song kind of rise to the top and go, Oh, I, I got to work on this. This has to be done now. <sighs> I, I don't know. I mean, I hadn't written a song in five years before that. Wow. So, and a lot of it, and I'm not blaming my kid, but, <laughs> but a lot of it had to do with, you know. Killian, come on. <laughs> I know, right? That, that it just, it's hard to find the time and the solace to be able to sure, do it. Sure, And I think it was just that. Somehow it got in my head. Yeah. And then the melody started coming with the lyrics, you know, and it was, I felt it was a strong melody. Yeah. I felt lyrically it was going to be good. So I just yeah. sat down and, you know, I, I banged that out in like, banged a, it out, yeah. you know, less than a day. Wow. So I want to point people in the direction of where they can find your music. Cause I want to talk about one more song from okay. your album, from the strand album from okay. left on Doris. Uh, but before we do that, as I always do with every episode, I want to push people to go and invest in your music. If, if what you have heard today has touched you, if Marty and left on Doris has really just 
been impactful. I want you to go and not just stream, not just uh, find them on Pandora, Spotify, but go to iTunes, go to Amazon, go to where they're at and, and invest in uh, this because this helps Marty be able to write more. This helps him to be able to create more. And as artists, that's what we're looking for. We are just looking for sustenance. We're looking for sustainability right. in, our, in what we're doing. So Thank point you. people to where, to your plugs. I mean, you pretty much just plug them. It's okay. on iTunes. It's on um, Amazon. It's, it's uh, I don't know if Rhapsody is a thing anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't know about yeah, that one either. But yeah. it's, it's wherever um, you'll find digital music, um, you can find okay. the Left on Doris album. You know, once you go through CD Baby, I think they pretty much put it everywhere. And, and as we've discussed before, to go discover new music is, you know, Pandora, YouTube, Spotify is great to discover. But then when you find that band, when you find those people that you're really invested in, yeah. Don't don't do any of that anymore. Go and and invest the in those. Yeah, exactly. By exactly. So we're going to talk about one more song from the Strand album and this song is the very last track on the album. It's a it's a beautiful ballad called Autumn. Talk to me a little bit about this and then we'll take a listen. So, um strangely enough, I wrote this after the band broke up for the first time. Okay. So we broke up in around 1997. Okay. Um, you know, we had been playing since 95, actually 98, I want, I want to say we broke up. Yeah. We've been playing since 95, four years solid, like going nonstop, playing everywhere we could. Um, so I wrote this um, when I wasn't in the band. Yeah. And I went and recorded it at the same place that I recorded Strand. Okay. By myself. So I played all the tracks. I played the percussion, the bass, everything. Yeah. And the funny thing is, when I played the bass part, I went, hmm, how would Sean have played this? <laughs> right, And yeah. I totally, I, and when he heard it, he's like, I didn't play that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after you play with somebody for so long, you know, you kind of get, yeah, yeah, get yeah. in their head. Yep. But um, that's, that's kind of how that came to be. And it was such a good tune that the guys in the band, after we got back together in 2004, 2003, 2004, they wanted to put it on the record. I was like, sure. That's great, man. Yeah, that's great. The whole song is incredible, but the chorus is, it, it almost brought me to tears, man. I, wow. I love it. That's awesome, and thank you. The song resonates with me, and I don't know that I really understand what you're saying and what it's about, but I love that. I love it when a song speaks to you on almost a spiritual or visceral level. And I don't know if it's the musicality of it or the, or the melody. I, I don't know. I can't explain it, but you connect with it in your soul almost. I know this sounds like really no, hippy no. dippy. I don't <laughs> no, mean it, it to sound that way, but I, 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 know, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. I have so many songs like that where I'm like, I have no idea what they're saying, but it makes I, you emotional. I get it. Yeah. I get it, you know? So the, uh, the, uh, the, cor the song, let me just, um, the song is written about a girl that worked at the toy store down the street from the pizza shop I worked okay. at at the time. This was like, I was kind of just like, I don't know, kind of fumbling through life. You know, I had my degree and stuff, but I didn't want to move away to be a journalist, for, like for my family and sure. everybody. So I was just making pizza, like a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, when they're kind of finding their way. And I really liked this girl. I was kind of in between relationships, which was unusual for me because it was a serial dater. Okay, okay. Um, in fact, I may have been in one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say that. But anyway, so I, I wrote it about the girl that um, worked on there. She, she was really cool. And, and she liked me, but I think I was like too clingy and too like into her. Okay. And I kind of pushed her away. Sure. Or I, you know, was just trying to go too fast too soon. And um, I wrote that for her. I played it for her. Wow. And it didn't work. Oh. <laughs> it did not work. It touched you, but not her. Oh, <laughs> but, um, and I, th and I think uh, there's a nonsense lyric in the chorus that I just had to put in there. Uh, to fit if you go i wouldn't follow i wouldn't fade away yeah um the i wouldn't follow i think is the nonsense lyric if okay. i you know i couldn't I, sometimes man you just you know every, every good songwriter i think has done this once or twice just it's like a throwaway word it's or a, a throwaway, throwaway line yeah, yeah it's a yeah. throwaway phrase yeah but it flows it flows yeah you know yeah 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 and 
It's very beautiful. Right. Yeah, very like beautiful. the whole song of Glass Onion by the Beatles is nonsense. Right. He wrote yeah. it because people, he's tired of people like analyzing his lyrics. Right, right. But yeah. people still analyze it anyway. Right. They still, they still break it down every, every little, every last word. Right. Well, let's uh, let people hear what we're talking about. We're going to listen to this song. It's the last track from the band's Strand album. Here is Marty Fike and his band Left on Doris with Autumn. I see rain and pale blue skies Try to see through your bedroom eyes Never knew just what to say Shouldn't give too much away Falling in too deep Get back on my feet again But if you go If you go, I wouldn't holler. By the way, I love the use of the word holler there. <laughs> I wouldn't fall away. Someday you'll look back at autumn wishing for this day. I can't help but wonder, is autumn a name here or is it the season? Because it doubles as it could be either. In fact, th- 
thinking of it in that way opens up a whole other level that I love, but I was just curious, yeah, where you were coming from on that line. Talk to me a little bit about this song because this is, again, this is another one of those songs that I didn't fully grasp what you were saying, but the chorus just seemed so universal and I just connected with it so much. Um, well, like I said, I, I wrote it in hopes of, you know, getting a girl, yeah. like, like kind of cementing the deal. Yeah. And I've done that so many times yeah. in my life and it's yeah. only worked once. Yeah. My wife. Your wife. <laughs> right. Once. That's it. <laughs> it actually was the thing that convinced her to move here. Interesting. I know. Right. That's a whole other story for another podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, but this song, um, yeah, I don't... It's been so long ago. I mean, it's been over 20 years since yeah. I've written this song's over 20 years old. Wow. So, um I don't remember like writing the verses so much. The chorus though, I remember I got the melody um for the chorus first, I believe. Yeah. And it was just it was such a strong melody um such a strong melody for any song I've ever written before. I yes. felt it was it, super, super uh, different. Yeah. Um, so very memorable. Very yeah, memorable. yeah. It, it, the intervals, everything about it was was a lot different from the things that I've written in the past. Um, so I feel like maybe the, the the verses suffered, or maybe it was just hard to live up to. Um, yeah, I can kind of see that. Like you, you have all this expectation built up, so you have to try to match that intensity so it can be intimidating a little bit. Right. Plus I was in a, I was in a vocal range that I normally didn't do. It was almost into a falsetto, like yeah. a Coldplay, like, if you go, I wouldn't follow. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Which was different for me as well. And which is another reason why I'm so glad that all the guys wanted to put it on the record. Yeah. Um, but it added some variety to the mm -hmm. record for sure. Yeah. But the song, you know, I see rain and pale blue skies. She had blue eyes. I mean, I could go on about some of the cliches. Yeah. Try to see for your bedroom eyes. She told me that people told her she had bedroom eyes. So right. I put that in the song, <laughs> Sure. you know, sure. Um, and, uh, past my dirty window, I see you again. That's her walking past the pizza shop. I mean, it's, oh, it's okay. a total like autobiographical Wow. Okay. Kind of, kind of song. And it was in fall when it all started. Yeah. And, and, you know, the whole relationship kind of went for two, three months. And then that was, that wow. was it. As a songwriter, like you, myself, um, you know, Joey, whoever, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot easier to revisit those times when you listen to the songs that you wrote. Yeah. And I kind of feel bad for lay people <laughs> that, <laughs> sure. that, that aren't songwriters that, yes. that don't have these, you know, snapshots of that time in their life and what they were thinking, what they were feeling, yeah. what was happening. Right. So yes. I think we're very fortunate and I think we should, you know, kind of celebrate the idea that, you know, our, it doesn't even matter if you're famous or who you right. are. If you wrote a song that reflected what happened at this point in your life and you can listen to that song and it immediately transports you there, yes. then you have your own little time machine, you basically. Do. Yeah. And it, it's your own personal scrapbook or journal Absolutely. that you can go back and revisit anytime you want. And sometimes you don't want to revisit some true. of those. Very true. Very but, true. you know, you live, you learn, and uh, there are no mistakes in life. There's only learning. Sure. And I, there's only one other line in this that was, I, I think I kind of get it now, but the no more beggars. Rebecca's. Rebecca's. That's what it was. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so I have some other songs I never released that I actually have some recordings of. Um, one of them is about this girl um, in college. Her name was Becky. And um, I, I, to, to make a long story short, Becky was like the object of my affection for a long time. And then finally, boom, like it, like it happened. She okay. was like, you know, was like, hey. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Wow. Right. So I wrote a <laughs> She had a boyfriend, though. <laughs> but I wrote a song. I wrote a song called Adam. Her boyfriend's name was Adam, which is hysterical. But okay. I, I'll have to play it for you sometime. Okay, but, yeah. But basically, you know, it's the whole Adam and Eve thing I, I played on. But anyway, um, like I wrote a couple songs about her. And the guys in my band are like, well, you just shut up about her. And, and I put in this song, No More Rebecca's Now, <laughs> you know. I totally get that because the very first track from my evolution album was a song about a past relationship and it was a relationship that was 
devastating to me yes. from my past. And I had written so many songs about this relationship and it was so frustrating and I got tired of writing about it. And quite frankly, I didn't like a lot of the songs that I had written. I didn't think they were very good. So I thought I'm going to write one final song, just one. This is going to be, I'm going to get rid of all these other ones. I'm going to write one final song about this relationship that encompasses exactly how I feel, how I felt. Right. And then I'm going to be done. I'm going to be yes. done with it. You know, so yes. I totally get that. Like no more, no more, right. no, no more um, songs about it and yes. no more, uh, relationships like that. Right. Yes, you know? exactly. And, that, and that's what that line means. Well, Marty, I think that's all I got, man. This has been awesome. I love you, brother. I love you too, man. So thank, much. Thank you so much for everything you've done for this podcast, for me, for the open mic, but really just for the songwriting community in general. That's thank you. That's really nice. Like you like going to make me cry. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. I, I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm not... <sighs> I'm more concerned about helping other songwriters and and giving giving back what I've learned over the years yeah. as opposed to promoting myself. Yes. So, and yeah. I think, I, I look at it like, if you've seen Cars? Yeah. It's like in Cars 3 where Lightning McQueen retires yeah. okay. and he paints himself like Doc Hudson. Okay, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm getting to the Doc, Doc Hudson <laughs> stage. So. Well, I would say that's not only what makes you a great... Uh, open my coast but a great person and a great friend thank you i love you brother love you brother all right thanks so much hey everybody thank you so much for tuning in to the sing-along podcast and don't forget if you'd like to watch the video version of this podcast just go to locals.com and join our second echo locals community to access lots of great bonus content and material if you'd like to support this podcast leave us a rating or review on itunes or you can tap the support link provided in the episode notes. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to hit that subscribe button at the top of the page and then share this podcast with other music lovers and songwriters. If you'd like to submit a song or another artist to be on an episode of this podcast, you can email me at Casey at singalongpodcast.com. Again, that's Casey, C-A-S-E-Y at singalongpodcast.com. And until next time, this is Casey from Second Echo saying, don't be afraid to write a new melody. And don't ever forget when you find one to sing along. Mm -hmm.